Well, hopefully uh, you've been following along with our Abide series. If you haven't, hopefully you've at least been abiding so uh, with Christ. But through this series, uh, my hope is that we have learned and maybe realized or maybe relearned or re-realized that abiding is the most important aspect of our lives. There is literally nothing more important than us abiding in Christ. doesn't matter anything else you put, I would argue, till my face was purple, that abiding is the most important. Because if we draw life from Christ, that life then flows from Him through us and to our broken world. And there can literally be nothing more important that we ensure we are abiding. Nothing should take priority over our relationship with Christ and to make sure that it is authentic and life-giving. That's part of what abiding is. We spent the last few weeks discussing the different roles of the Godhead in abiding. I think in Jesus' metaphor, he very clearly describes the different roles of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And hopefully you've grasped Our role isn't one of work and striving and effort. If there is effort, work and striving, it should be put into staying connected. The fruit is not our responsibility. We've talked about that. Our role is to abide. And all of those things that we tend to focus on, that is a result of our abiding. And if we would simply focus on being connected to the true God, that stuff will take care of itself. See, God the Father doesn't change. God the Son doesn't change. And God the Holy Spirit doesn't change. We are the ones who are constantly moving ourselves out of alignment with God. I don't know if you ever had alignment problems with your car, uh, I probably do. I don't know because it just makes noise and I take it in and try to replicate it and they laugh at me. Uh, But when the alignment's not good, it it messes everything else up. And the longer you let it go, I've learned this at least, is the more problems you you create if you let it go longer. And that's true when we're not in alignment with God. And again, He doesn't change. He doesn't move. He is constant. He is moving, but He doesn't move from us. He's constantly moving forward with his kingdom, and he's moving toward this day when everything will be different. But he doesn't move from us. We are the ones that constantly move out of that alignment. Today we're going to look at a few of the areas which seek to ruin that alignment, things that try to get in the way of that. Today we're going to talk about the enemies of abiding. And you might think, well, I thought we've already talked about a lot of this. We've talked about some of it, but I really want to spend today focusing in on what are the enemies of abiding. We've talked about the importance of abiding. We've talked about the different roles in abiding. Uh, But today I want to talk about those enemies of abiding. Because if the enemy fails at keeping you from becoming a Christian, that's his primary goal, is to keep people away from receiving Christ. And if he fails at that, then the next best thing that Satan can do is ensure that you draw as little life from the true vine as possible. He doesn't just give up. He doesn't go, oh, well, 
they became a Christian. I guess I failed. I'll just move on to somebody else. He just changes tactics. He just, you know, changes. It, it reminds me a little of uh, my son Killian. And when he wants something, man, he will go hard after it. And as soon as he realizes he's not getting it, he just changes course and he just moves on to the next thing that he wants. And, you know, it doesn't even phase him. He just move right on to the next thing. And that's how the enemy is in our life sometimes. Just because he didn't get what he wanted initially doesn't mean he's going to stop. My son will never stop. Satan will never stop in your life. He just will change his tactics. And if you haven't realized it yet as a believer, that's his goal. Is he wants to steal as much of your joy as he can. John 10.10 10 says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus speaking here. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says that abundant life is only possible if we're abiding in the vine, that is, abiding in Christ. See, now the world will try to convince you that abundant life is tacking Jesus on to your own life, is to seeking success in your way, seeking uh, pleasure and success and notoriety in the world's way, and then tacking Jesus onto that. You know, getting your Christian fix at the end. You know, that's the abundant life. But some of you have lived long enough, longer than me, certainly, and you've realized that all that stuff, that's not abundant life. There's nothing more satisfying than drawing life from Jesus and being comfortable in that, finding that as your true joy. So today, let's talk about the first major thief which seeks to steal, to kill, and destroy the abundant life that Jesus wants for us. That first one being sin. Probably doesn't come as a shocker to you that sin will create a disruption in our relationship to God. If that is a surprise to you, then you need to be here more often. Uh, Obviously, sin will disrupt our relationship with God and seek to rob us of the abiding aspect of our life. So I don't think I need to convince you that sin is a problem. Problem that I see with a lot of Christians is many Christians still try to live a balanced life in regards to sin. If I were to ask this group of people, how many of you believe that the way to get to heaven is to just do more good things than bad? My hope is I wouldn't see any hands uh, because that's not good theology. We understand that. We know a relationship with Jesus is necessary. However, then we enter the Christian life and we begin to live a life that says, as long as my sin is relatively small and I do more good than bad, it's no big deal. Now, if you're being honest, most of us have probably fallen into that trap of thinking, it's not that big of a deal. It's not hurting anybody. It's not causing anybody harm. I'm not sinning against anybody. It's not that big of a deal. The enemy's probably convinced us of that at one time or another. We've come to find out later he's a dirty, rotten liar, and we're not happy about that. Hopefully, you've come to realize that because it is a big deal. But we can tend to live a balanced 
attempt to live a balanced sin life. Well, as long as I'm doing good things, I just have that one or two bad things. Uh, I've heard people try to convince me that their sin isn't that big of a deal because it's not that bad and it's not hurting anybody uh, regardless of whatever that sin is. Yet the Word of God very clearly says in Hebrews chapter 10, Verses 26 to 31. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much, more, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of of the living God. And if that last verse doesn't send chills up your spine, you don't know God good enough yet. (laughs) Because it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I thank God on a regular basis that I fall into His hands only through the blood of Jesus. Because without that, I wouldn't want to be in the hands of the living God because of the sin I have accrued on my account, the things which I am guilty of. But, thanks be to God, we come through the blood of Jesus into his hands. Most of us, if we're honest, we know there are things in our life which come up on a regular basis which probably fit into the category of sin. Most of us probably have committed the same sin more than once. Just throwing that out there, ballpark, maybe. Okay? The difference between what this verse was, or that passage was talking about uh, is the, the difference would be somebody responding like Paul does in Romans 7 and 8. When, if you've never read that, you need to read that and read it thoroughly because as Paul explains this, this uh, war that is happening between the Holy Spirit within him and his own flesh, though it is renewed flesh, it's no longer the dead body that was... Uh, captive to sin there's still a war that happens every day he's saying man i I do the things i don't want to do and i don't do the things i want to do and and all of this sin and he you can feel the frustration he has with this war that is happening the difference is somebody who responds like that and is is constantly constantly in turmoil because of this war that's happening and somebody who deliberately sins without fear of judgment or any attempt to repent of their sin. I don't know about you, but I've known a few Christians who were living a lifestyle of sin, feeling absolutely no remorse for it. They only had excuses. They only had reasons why it was okay. And now I've also met people who do that, but you can tell they're trying to convince themselves because they know what they're doing is wrong. But then there's another group of people who, who legitimately believe what they're saying, that it's totally okay to live completely contrary to the Bible because they want to. And that, to me, is very different from, that, from Paul's mentality in Romans 7 and 8. To deliberately return to the same sin is a sign that someone is not abiding 
in the vine. Now, you might make the argument, which would be sensible, to say, well, all sin is deliberate. You know, in order to sin, it needs to be deliberate. And I would agree, for the most part, in, in that most sin is deliberate. We choose to sin, especially as a believer. You're no longer captive to sin anymore. When we sin, we choose to sin. We make that choice. But this is different. This deliberate sin this, is, this passage is talking about is this continual return to it without an attempt at repentance. And many of you probably, you've worked at a sin and you find yourself back there and then you repent and you turn, and you, but you find yourself back there and you keep trying to live in the vine and you constantly feel this war happening between you. Now, if you find yourself as one of the people who think the sins you deliberately return to time and time again are not that big of a deal because, well, and I've heard this, I believe in God, and that's what's important. It's not as important that I continue to fall into the same sin. It's what's important is I believe in God. And, you know, my lifestyle, it might not be congruent with the Word of God, but I believe in Him. James 2, 19 to 20 says, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Very clearly saying, even the demons believe that God is God, that He is who He says He is. So just a knowledge of God and of who He is isn't enough. What kind of works do you think he's talking about here? John fifteen ten passage we've been kind of basing all of this from. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We covered this a couple weeks ago. If we love Jesus, we will follow his commandments. Yes, there's still a battle that happens between our flesh and our spirit, but there's a desire. Remember, the difference in, in Romans 7 and 8 is Paul is saying he doesn't do what he wants to do. There's a desire to do the things God wants him to do. He fails at it at times. He doesn't always live up to it, but he wants to. There's a desire to do the things of God. Hopefully, in your life, you find that to be true. Though there's a desire to always honor God, there's a desire to always do the right thing, sometimes we fail. Sometimes we don't do the right thing and we fail in our attempt to abide in the vine. We're only fooling ourselves if we think that we can live a life of disobedience and still be a Christian. I've met too many people who believe that that is a possibility. Well, I, can, I know I'm not living according to the Word of God, but I still believe in God. Good for you. So do the demons, as we just discussed. If you are a Christian, you will produce fruit. That's what I love about this John 15 passage is there's no ifs, there's no conditions. It's just if you are abiding in the vine, fruit will be produced. And that fruit, if you're an orange and you're attached to an apple tree, there's a problem. That's not the right fruit. You're not producing the correct fruit. And so if the fruit you're producing isn't that of God, there's a really good chance you're not connected to Him. You're drawing life from the wrong vine. But if we are connected to the true vine, the fruit we will produce will be of God. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. It will happen. 
And if we think we can live lives of disobedience and still be a Christian, that's not the lifestyle of a fruitful branch. Matthew 6, 24. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is in, obviously, a conversation about trying to live for financial gain and serve God. And Jesus is being very clear that you can't do that. You can't serve two different masters. Either we serve God or we serve our own desires. Jesus is making it clear that that's the choice we have. What I find interesting is we currently today live in a culture, and I, I think it's pretty similar to all the cultures of all time, is the enemy tries to convince us, no, 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 you can do both. You can satisfy your desires. You can focus on the American dream, or you can focus on all of your kingdom and God's kingdom. You can do both. It's possible. Just make sure that you're at church, you know, half the time, maybe three quarters if you're really holy. Uh, and, you know, just kind of give God his due here and there, and then you can, you can do both. We cannot draw life from both the true vine and a false vine. Think, I'm not a gardener. Again, I told you I'm, I'm not an expert in gardening. Uh, but something cannot be connected to two different vines. It can't draw life from two completely different vines and have life. It's only actually drawing life from one vine. You can only draw life from one vine at a time. And so if we think that we can live like the world, focus on the world, produce fruit of the world, focus on the world's kingdom, and then Sunday come in and live for God, it doesn't work that way. You can't switch that on and off. It's not a switch. It doesn't work that way. We are connected to one vine. My hope for you is it's the true vine. And if we're connected to the true vine, the blessing of that is we don't walk alone. We're told not to walk by our own wisdom or our own personalized theology, but by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Again, there's this desire, this want to do what God calls us to do. My hope for you is you feel that war, that you live that battle every day. Because here's the truth. If you don't feel this tension, if you don't experience this war on a daily basis, it's probably because one of those isn't there. And if you're alive, that means the flesh is already there. So it means it's the spirit that's missing. And so there should be this battle, this war, this, this constant waging of war against our flesh who just wants to please this world and, and live for temporary desires and the Spirit of God within us that wants to honor and serve God. This is a lot about what we talked about last week. So if you missed last week, go back and watch last week's. I thought it was awesome. God showed up. But it's all about living in the Spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit because the fruitful, branch, the fruitful part of the branches is not our work, it's the Holy Spirit's. He will flow through us. 
But we will always feel the war between our flesh and the Spirit of God within us while we're still in this world. If somebody tries to convince you that they're so holy and so spiritual that they don't fight that struggle at all, that's a good red flag not to listen to anything that person says because they are definitely not holy enough. There is no such thing. We will always have this battle. It will always exist. And we're also told it's not the battle that's the problem. Sometimes we get convinced that it's the battle that's the problem. The fact that you struggle with this, the fact that you are constantly waging war against the flesh, well, that's, that's sin in your life. That's an incorrect assumption of what's being said in the Bible. It's when we give into that battle, the wrong side of that battle, the temptation of our flesh, that we get ourselves into trouble. Battling is not the problem. Battling doesn't show that you're a terrible Christian. Battling doesn't show that you're a weak and, and faithless person. Battling shows you are his, and Satan wants you. When you give in, that's where the problem is. James 1, 14 to 15 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so there's this, you might not know about this, but there's this theological battle as to whether or not Jesus was ever actually tempted to sin. Some would argue he was never tempted because he's God. Others would argue he was tempted to sin. That's what the temptation of Christ is all about, in the wilderness especially. But behind that is this idea that to be tempted is not sin. And sometimes we get into this mindset that to be tempted is sin. The enemy convinces us, shame on you, you were tempted to do that. And it's the same as doing it. You're a horrible person. Because why? He realizes he can't get us to actually commit the sin. So why not convince us that there's shame just in being tempted? And so let me just release you from that this morning. The temptation itself is not the sin, as this very clearly states. The temptation, I, I, and now I'm, I'm of the personal belief that Jesus was tempted, because um, he even says, I was, you know, he's, he was tempted just like every other person. He's felt temptation. He simply didn't let it give birth to sin. And so some of you are, are in a place where you're feeling defeated because the temptation is there, because the war is being waged. You may be like Paul in Romans 7 and 8. You feel that, and you might even get to that place where he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Man, if you don't get there in your life as a Christian, you need to do some more battling. Because, ah, man, I get there, especially when you're in worship with God and, and you're in his presence. You've, if you've never felt like Daniel or you've, you've never felt like Isaiah when you stand before the presence of the living God and thought, man, I am, I am worthless. I'm going to die just to be in your presence. I don't, I don't belong here. Then you don't have an accurate view of just how broken we are and how awesome he is. But don't let the, the enemy chain you down and convince you you're a horrible Christian simply because you've been tempted to sin. It's not allowing that temptation to become sin that is the real war. Now, I've also heard a common excuse in this area 
of people who are constantly tempted and then give in to that temptation or at least allow the temptation to go further into fantasy or something like that. And I hear, well, I can't help the temptations because of my job. My question is, is it more important that you have that job or that you abide in Christ? Now, this might be rubbing some of you the wrong way, and I'm okay with that. Because there is nothing more important than abiding in Christ. Nothing. Literally nothing. Whether it's a job, a relationship. If you're in a relationship with somebody, you're not married, and they're constantly pushing you to do something that you know isn't right, get out of it. It's not worth it. There is literally nothing more important than abiding in Christ. You've got to quit your job to make sure that nothing gets in the way of you abiding in Christ. And that's an easy price to pay. Nothing is more important than abiding in Christ. So I think we can probably all agree that sin is the bad stuff that keeps us from abiding. But I want to kind of switch gears and I want to talk about something else that keeps us from abiding. And it's the good stuff that keeps us from abiding. And I would maybe argue that it's way more dangerous than the bad stuff. Because some of you are, as Sally said, seasoned Christians. Uh, You've walked with Jesus for a while. You kind of know the enemy's tactics. He's kind of lost his power with a lot of the bad stuff. You've you've waged war long enough that the Spirit of God wins a lot more than the flesh does. And you've followed him and you continue. It doesn't mean you don't battle, but you've learned his tactics pretty well. But then there's the good stuff, which keeps us from abiding as well. See, if Satan can't trip us up in sin patterns, if he can't get us to uh, deliberately go back to the same sin time and time and time again, another good option is to keep us so busy we just don't have time for the things of God. Some of us, my argument might be, many of us fall into this trap. Some of us are so focused on us and our kingdoms that serving God just doesn't fit into our busy schedules. We've written God a lot of IOUs saying, well, as soon as this season is over, then I'll have more time for you. God, as as soon as uh, this baby finally comes, then I'll have more time for you. Well, then it becomes, as soon as these kids are older, then I'll have more time for you. As soon as these kids go to college, I'll have more time for you. As soon as my kids aren't in college, I don't have more time for you. And all of a sudden, we just never had time for God. We just have a lot of IOUs written to God for time that we're not spending with Him. Best thing that we can do is, well, we'll attend service every now and then. I'll, I'll, I'll watch it if, you know, if, I can't, if I can't get there. Some of us deal with anxiety because we're so caught up in trying to control the world around us. And that's why we're so busy, because we're trying to control so much. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. This is Jesus speaking, just so you know. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, of, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's why I can so very clearly and easily say, is your job getting in the way of abiding? Get rid of it. Is a relationship getting in the way of abiding? Get rid of it. Whatever is in the way of abiding, get rid of it. Nothing is worth it. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. If we seek him first, he will honor that. doesn't mean this is not a prosperity gospel, that if you seek God, everything will go well. Life might stink for a while. You quit your job, if you get rid of a relationship, you might struggle with that. That's not saying that God's not there. But the blessings of abiding are far greater than anything this world can offer. How many of us can honestly say this morning, judging by the way that we invest our time, our energy, and our finances, that we seek the kingdom of God first before our own? That anybody, you know, if if we were to do, I don't even know what we'd call this, like a spiritual audit, somebody were to audit your life, would it be very clear to a third party Well, this person puts the kingdom of God first. No doubt. Look at that. Look at this. Look at the way they spend their time. Look at the way they spend their energy. Look at the way they spend their finances. Obviously, God's kingdom is a priority to this person. How many of us can say that? Instead, many of us probably get caught up in the pursuits of this world. The things this world tells us are important. We fall into exactly what we're told not to in Romans 12. Romans 12 too says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Being conformed to this world isn't just about sin patterns, people. Very often we can use this verse to think, well, yeah, don't be conformed to this world. Don't, you know, we use this against, you know, whether it's homosexuality or uh, different sin patterns, you know, marriage, you know, sex before marriage, all these other things we can use this verse for. And while that's true, it's not limited to just sin patterns. It can have a lot to do with our priorities as well. Being conformed to this world can also be letting the world's priorities become our priorities. The things the world says are important, we begin to think are important. You might even make the argument, well, the things I'm doing are good things. And that very well might be true. That's exactly why the enemy is using those to distract you. Because he knew he could get you with good things. He knew he couldn't get you with sin patterns. He knew he couldn't convince you to walk away from God. 
So we just thought, well, if I fill their plate so full, they won't have time for God. And that's his goal, is to fill your plate with tons of good stuff. I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm playing my cards here a little too much, but uh, when I go to a buffet or a potluck, I do what's called reconnaissance. And I'll walk, if you've seen me, I'll walk up the line, I'll make sure, okay, where are the vegetables? We'll get rid of those. What are the good things on this? Because why? Because I want to have room on my plate for the things that I actually want. I'm just being honest with you right now. Uh, make sure I don't fill up because, you know, if, I don't know if you've been there, but you're walking through the potluck line and you get to that one thing, you're like, man, that looks really good. And you realize, I don't have any room. My plate's full. I'll come back. And you come back for seconds and it's not there anymore. It's gone. I've been there. And it's a hurtful thing, I know. Uh, but that's the enemy's goal. He wants to fill your plate so full that when you get to the thing of God that he really has for you, say, I don't have any room left. I, I'll come back for that. I, you know what, God? Next year, I'll have time for that. I promise I'll have, I'll have time for that next year. We come back and the opportunity's gone. Our plate was too full. And that's exactly why the enemy is using those good things to distract you. He knew he couldn't get you with the bad stuff. So he just keeps you too busy. How many of us, now again, you don't have to raise your hand, but I honestly wish I could tell us to raise our hands for a question like this. How many of us feel that we put aside a sufficient amount of time to spend with God? See, this is one of those questions that we feel might be too spiritual, but it's not. We should be in a place where we say, you know what? I am pleased with the amount of time that I spend with God. Now, hopefully, like good steak, you think, I, there, I can always fit more in. I can, there's always room for more. My wife thought it was funny. At least she did. And hopefully, no matter how much time you spend with God, you think, I could always fit in more. But if you were honest with yourself, you say, you know what? I think the way I spend my time shows that time with God is a priority to me. And these are the kind of questions that I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest with you right now. I'm frustrated that we can't actually ask the church as a whole and be honest about. Or that we can't get to a place where some of us, half of us, could say, I am, I'm pretty content with the amount of time I spend with the Lord. I always want more. Man, I can't wait till the next time I get, get to be alone with Him. But yeah, the amount of time I spend with God is, shows this is a priority to me. It should be. We should feel that the amount of time we spend with him is sufficient. If not, the enemy's got you. He's got you with the bad stuff or he's got you with the good stuff. But one way or another, he has you. Because I promise you, it's not God. He's not what keeping you from spending time with him. I know this is a pretty basic concept, but you need to realize that. God doesn't have you so busy that you don't have time to spend with him. That's not who he is. If you don't have the time, it's you or it's the enemy that's got you. Most of us, if asked that question and we were honest, would say, I'm just too busy. I just don't have the time. Some of you might be involved in 67 different ministries. And God is saying, how about that one ministry I called you to? What are you doing with that one? 
Because I only called you to that one. But you're involved in 67 other ones. Some of us are doing multiple things okay. Instead of the one or two that God has called us to, we're not doing those with excellence because we're so focused on too many. The enemy has crammed your plate full so that you can't do what God's called you to do with excellence. And that's where he's got you. See, you've heard me, if you've listened to me for any length of time, I will always say the enemy of God's best for you is not the worst thing. It's good. That is the biggest enemy. Because if the enemy can get you to accept good in your life, if he can get you to settle, then he still gets to rob you a little bit. How many of you would be okay if you were just getting robbed a little bit every day? Probably not many of us. And that's what the enemy seeks to do. If he can just rob you a little bit, he's happy. If he can get you to settle for good. Some of you, you're doing so many things. You're helping so many people. You're involved in so many lives because you've, the enemy's got you convinced it's good. It's good to do this. It's good to be a part of this many things. These people need help. It's good that you're doing this. And it's the enemy. Some of them could be the enemy. Cram in your plate full so that you just don't have time to do what God's called you to do with excellence. Some of us really need to learn how to say no for the kingdom. Need to learn how to discern when it's of God and when it's the enemy trying to cram our plate full. Some of us need to learn how to say yes. So I just want to be clear. Some of us need, need the yes lesson. Say yes to serving. Some of us need to learn how to let something die whether it be a ministry, whether it be a relationship, whether it be something. We need to let it die because it's not what God's called us to. See, sometimes leaders, they become present in a vacuum. If there's a lapse in something like, you know, this just came up when we were talking with the elders this morning, like our youth group, there's a very good likelihood we won't have one in the fall because we just don't have anybody to serve in that area of ministry. So if you're a teenager that's within our area of influence, I'm sorry, we just don't have enough people who are willing to work in that ministry. Now, so we might have to shut it down. My hope is, if we do have to, some of you, my guess would be, have been called by God to do that. And you've just said, I'm just too busy. And God is saying, well, you know what? Let's shut it down for a while. Let the void create the desire in people to want to be a part of something like that. Because I think we should have a youth ministry. I think we should have, we should be ministering to our teenagers. But if we don't have people that are willing to do it, I don't want to continue to tell people who have clearly identified this isn't what God's called me to do, but I just feel like I have to do it or else it's going to die. That's not right. Remember, those suckers that we talked about previously when we were talking about pruning, those things that are attached to a vine that aren't there to produce fruit, they're just there to sap the energy, they just want to take the energy from from the branches. Many of us allow those because we think, well, who am I to say no? I want to help as many people as possible. And so you only ever minister 
good instead of great, which is where God wants you. Things which only seek to rob us of energy and will never produce fruit. Remember that Romans 12 verse? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Satan wants us caught up in what is good and acceptable. How many of you, hopefully it's a long time from now for all of us, but after we die, how many of us want somebody to stand up at our funeral and say, well, Bruce lived a acceptable life he was an acceptable guy he had an acceptable ministry he served god in an acceptable fashion i don't know about you but that's not what i dream of or what i would want to hear i'd want to hear it was awesome he loved jesus with all of his heart he went after god with reckless abandon that's all he wanted was people to know that jesus loved them i don't want good and acceptable man i want perfect I know that's where God has set the bar for us. He's told us, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That bar doesn't change just because we're human. The bar is perfect. And some of us, we don't know how to discern because we've been conformed to the world because we're not focused on Jesus. It says what? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That can only happen as we abide. And the longer we abide, the easier it is to tell the difference between good, acceptable, and perfect. We begin to learn, yes, you know what? That is a really good thing. And if you're, I know people get angry at me when I say no, but I'm comfortable saying no because I spend time with God and when I hear that's not what I want you to do, it doesn't matter how good, how noble, how awesome the cause is, the answer is no because God's called me to do certain things and I'll do what he tells me to do, not what I feel guilty about not doing. Some of us need to learn that. Good and acceptable is not what God's called us to. He's called us to perfect. He's got perfect ministries. He's got a perfect plan for your life. He's got a perfect person for you to minister to. He's got perfect disciples for you that he wants you to be in relationship with and lead in their journey toward Jesus. But some of our plates are just too full. and We just don't have the time. See, that's the difficult and interesting thing about walking with Jesus is it's different for each and every one of us. The ministries you're called to are not the same ministries I'm called to. The people you're called to are not the same as me. So I can't just sit there with a cookie cutter and say, this is what a good Christian life looks like. You just do this and everything will be great. This is how you connect with God. This is how you pray. This is who you should minister to. Because you need to walk by the Spirit. See, he's the vine, not me. He's the vine, not the church. He's the vine, not that person who you learned how to follow Jesus from. As great and holy as they might be, their way to connect with Jesus might not be the same as yours. Their way to serve might not be the same as yours. Hopefully they taught you to walk in the Spirit and to go wherever the Holy Spirit calls you and leads you. And so where you go, his life will flow through you like rivers of living water to those around you, to those who are thirsty for holiness. They don't know it, but that's what they're thirsty for. Which is why for many of us, we need to slow our lives down so that we can spend time with him. 
And as we spend time with him, things start to get really clear. I don't know if any of you have ever had a season, some of us would call it 2020, where life slowed down considerably. Some of you, life did not slow down at all. It got way more complicated. But for some of us, life slowed down. And I hope you took some time to just slow your life down, spend time with God. And it's incredible the clarity that comes from that. I I can't remember the quote right now. It just came into my mind. I think it's Abraham Lincoln. Maybe. But I think he was quoted to say, I have so much that needs to be done today. I can't imagine not starting my day with three hours of prayer. How many of you have ever said that? I know I haven't. But that's the attitude that truly understands. Man, if I have got so much to get done, I better be spending a lot more time with God. I'm learning that. (laughs) I've been a lead pastor now for three years, and I've learned, whew, I need to spend a lot more time with Jesus. Because there's more God wants me to do. And the more he wants me to do, the more I've got to spend with him. And it almost seems like it doesn't add up. The math doesn't work, but it does. And whatever God's called you to, it will require you spending time with him. If what you're doing doesn't require you to spend more time with Jesus, it's not from him. Very clear. If it pushes you away from God, it's not from him. Or you're just not doing it right. (laughs) Or you've allowed the enemy to cram too much stuff on your plate. And you need to clear the plate and say, God, whatever you want, you put on this plate. And I'll seek to do this with excellence. And I'll spend time with you every day to make sure that not a crumb of anything that's not from you gets on this plate. And I'll only do that what you tell me to do. I'll only step where you tell me to step. I'll only minister where you tell me to minister. Whether it's people, ministries, activities, hobbies, whatever it is, be cautious you're not getting stuck in the trap of good stuff. My guess is, for a lot of us, that's way more of the danger in our life. Whether it's grandkids or job or just people. Maybe we're just ministering in so many lives because we, we see the need, we feel the hurt, and we want to minister and we're not listening for God. We're running out saying, I'm the Savior, I'll be your Savior. Let me help you. Instead of allowing Jesus to lead us, guide us, direct us. We're allowing, even through that, we're allowing the the thief to steal, to kill, and destroy the abundant life that God wants for us. We might think we're doing a good thing, but at the end of the day, we're honest, we're empty. We are drained. We're just so tired. Why? Because we're not doing what God's called us to. We're doing a lot of good stuff, but we're not doing where, what God has called us to. And don't, on the flip side of that, don't let the momentary enjoyment of sin steal, kill, and destroy the abundant life God's called you to. God came, very clearly he said, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. That's his desire. But maybe we need to let God define what abundant life looks like. 
maybe we need to stop telling him, hey, you said abundant life, and abundant life means I have a really nice car and a really big house and a really nice bank account. That's what abundant life is. God should give it to me. Maybe as we spend time with him, our idea of abundant life changes. I don't know about you, but for me, abundant life means that this connection between him and I is strong and it's vibrant and it's full of passion that when I enter his presence, man, I love it. There's nothing greater in my life than entering that presence, being with him. That's abundant life. And I want to share that with you. That's abundant life too, being able to do that corporately. So whether it's the good stuff or the bad stuff, there is literally nothing more important than abiding in Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have graciously offered to us this abundant life. Without you, life would be meaningless. It would be hopeless. It would be useless. But with you, God, everything, life has color. Life has meaning. God, I thank you that you've allowed us to be transplanted into the true vine. And we get to draw life from you. And thank you, Lord, that you produce fruit through us, that your Holy Spirit flows through us, that fruit is produced just because we're attached to you. Lord, would we be diligent in ensuring that nothing gets in the way of our abiding, that we are constantly defending against anything which would seek to steal, to kill, or to destroy that connection. God, I thank you that you love us and that you're gracious with us. And when we fail, you're always there to walk with us. I thank you that the shame is not from you, that you always welcome us with loving arms while never giving in and lowering the bar of perfection for us. You will always walk with us, guide us, direct us, Thank you for your love for us. Lord, I pray over us that we would abide in you and through that much fruit would be produced. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, have a great week.